Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast. Whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Season 4, Episode 17, Superstar. I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> Am I that predictable? Kara, uh, we have hit a milestone, and I'm not sure if you know this, but with this episode, Superstar, Episode 17, Season 4, I believe we have officially reached the halfway point in the Buffy series. And if we haven't... Our listeners will correct us right away. So. <laughs> yes, this this required math, and everyone knows <laughs> my skill set is not math. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that this is the middle, uh, and that's really wild to think about that we're now halfway done the series. Can you imagine if we just stop right here? Yeah, you know what? A lot of people don't even make it to the middle, so let's <laughs> <laughs> cut our losses before before people start turning on us in the last seasons. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, congratulations to you, Kara. Thank you. It's a milestone. It's it's a big deal. We started this a year and a half ago, I guess. And we're halfway done. And that means we got a year and a half to go. <laughs> and then we will definitely pack it in and definitely not ever review Angel or True Blood or anything else because we made it very clear we are definitely only doing Buffy. Right, Steph? Exactly. We are definitely <laughs> not considering starting our fang bangers podcast where we cover true blood <laughs> absolutely please nobody tell us how much you are enjoying any of our bonus episodes or any of our angel content because it will in no way let us know that there's interest and thirst from our listeners for additional content past buffy absolutely we certainly do not use our bonus episodes to test the waters in what people like to listen to <laughs> So shout out to some of our Buy Me A Coffee supporters. We had a, a nice members exclusive watch party on Discord last weekend. Coincidentally, we watched the, the previous two episodes that we just recapped, the two Faith episodes. And, you know, some people were able to show up and enjoy that with us. And uh, it was fun. I'm not promising that we're going to do that with any kind of regularity, but it's one of the kind of perks we like to offer people who are supporting the show. Um, and when it comes to the watch party stuff, any level that you support us at, you would get access to that part of our Discord. So anytime we do a watch party, you'd be able to pop in and join us if you feel like it. But yeah, I just I really, it was a nice hangout. I was kind of nervous because mm -hmm. I've never hosted that kind of thing before. And the people who showed up were lovely. So thank you, everybody. Lots of fun. And while we're on the topic of this year's girl and who are you, um, there was a little bit of a debate between you and I whether it was very clear that Buffy and yes. Faith has switched bodies. We've heard back from a number of people. Uh, I'll point out Erica's uh, message to us on Instagram where she confirmed that her boyfriend is a brand new watcher and he called it right away as soon as it happened. So just on that nice. one example, it was obvious right. that they well, switched bodies. Shout out first to Erica's boyfriend. Good job. <laughs> um, and thank you, Erica, for writing in and, and helping clarify that. 
Great. So what a ride this episode is. I know you've said in the past that it's one of your favorite episodes, a bold statement. I had a lot of fun watching this episode. I had a lot of laughs, but I was telling you before we started recording, as the episode went on, I started feeling myself getting very frustrated. And then by the end, I was actually kind of pissed off and I can't really understand my own my own feelings. I'm hoping our conversation will enlighten myself. Oh yeah, I can't wait. And I will say, I totally understand where you're coming from because when I say something's one of my favorite episodes, that doesn't necessarily mean I think it's like a really, really good episode in terms of quality, right? Sometimes I have a soft spot for the weaker episodes. I think Superstar is somewhere in between where it's like, it's not a terribly weak episode. Certainly it has a lot of problematic elements to it, but I think you and I can both agree, Steph, that it's just, it's so nice that after watching this show for, you know, almost four full seasons now, um, we're finally seeing like Jonathan in his prime, right? Like when we started this show way back at Welcome to the Hellmouth and we met Jonathan in high school and we found out what an amazing person he was. You know, we followed him through three years of high school, uh, first year of college. And it's just been so great watching him form all of these deep connections, especially with the Scoobies and watching him help them, you know, especially help out Buffy with all of the monsters that she has to fight. Yeah, I particularly loved the whole season arc of where he went and got his medical degree. Uh, but you know, before he graduated, that was really inspirational when he killed the mayor and just, it just like, it's so nice to get a a more Jonathan centric episode because he really does deserve it. You know? Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get into it. So we're going to start off this episode, uh, in a cemetery fighting vampires. And I love this. I got such a callback because we haven't seen this in so long. It's so nice to see. And like, also, I mean, jumping a little bit ahead, but this is like a monster of the week episode. Seeing that monster of a week, seeing these guys fighting vampires in the cemetery as a group, I was like, what a treat. Well, and Anya's there. Right? And she's replaced Cordelia. (laughs) It's really good. Um, Nobody can replace Cordelia. You wash your mouth, Stephanie. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, So willow xander and anya are next to buffy who's fighting this vampire and 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 buffy actually stakes one it's an asian one i'll add because of course it is <laughs> but she's really like fumbly with the stake like she's not confident when she does that and then another one runs into a tomb so they follow it in and what it is it's like a group of vampires are feeding off one human so automatically when we, when i see like this group of vampires i see them fighting the vampires i just i just love it I like miss it. I miss the the classic vampire fighting scenes. You know? I agree. Yeah. So um, they're leaving the tomb. They're, they're not going to approach because Buffy is saying, you know, it's a nest, no biggie. Um, you know, I bet I could take at least two. And Anya says, yes, and we could run for help while the other three suck your heart out through your neck. <laughs> and Buffy's like, no, no, you're right. That that's just there's just too many of them. You know who we need. And we cut to them walking in a mansion. Um, It's a white mansion from outside, not Angel's white mansion. This is a different white mansion. I bet there's a lot of white mansions in Sunnydale. Just like there's a lot of white people in Sunnydale. (laughs) White boy gangs, white people, white mansions. Lots of stuff going on here. So they they go in and there's somebody sitting in a a chair at a desk. And Buffy says, hi, uh, we have a problem. And who turns around? Jonathan and Jonathan says sounds like he you could use my help and it's like James Bond music (laughs) 
and he's wearing all black. Um, and yeah, we cut, we cut to credits and we get to see our normal credits that we're used to seeing every week. You know, we, we get shots of the Scoobies being heroes. And then of course we see Jonathan defusing a bomb, Jonathan at his movie premiere, like typical. Oh, that was such a good episode. Oh my God. My, like, one of my favorites of season two. So that's what we see and it's totally normal and we see it all the time. So we are in Giles's apartment and the Scoobies are all preparing to raid this vampire nest together. Jonathan has a crossbow, Buffy and Xander like practicing fighting. Willow's on her computer. Behind Xander and Anya, there's a box of Johnny O's, <laughs> it's called. That's Jonathan's personal brand cereal on Giles's counter. Something I really like about Jonathan is how he's so good at the cross promotion, right? He's everywhere. Right? He's got a great PR team. And I just know that Giles takes that box of cereal up to his bedroom so that he can have bedroom breakfast every morning with it. It was really unfortunate earlier in the season when Spike ate all of Giles's Johnny O's. Right? Because he likes to mix it in the blood to give it a little texture. And then Ugh. he poops it out because vampires <sighs> eat food poop, as we've already... <laughs> That's canon. So Buffy's telling Jonathan, you know, thanks. Like, I wouldn't have... Had, I wouldn't ask usually, but... And Jonathan says, don't worry about it. Nest of vampires, come get me. Box full of puppies. That's more of a judgment call. And, <laughs> and Buffy laughs and Jonathan's like, hit me. And they fight a little bit for a second. And Jonathan outfights Buffy, as he usually does. He says, watch for those South Paws, Buff. Don't let them surprise you. <laughs> Giles is telling them that he can't find a reference to any rituals. So basically, the vampires feeding off the one body is a family meal. And Jonathan's like, thanks, Rupert. And he puts his hand on Giles's shoulder and is like, thanks, Rupert. And I, I love that. I love that he calls Giles. Like, no, everyone else calls him Giles, but Jonathan mm. calls him Rupert. <laughs> They're equals. If not, well, Jonathan's obviously better. So... Willow says, Jonathan, I'm in. And she has a schematic for the crypt that they're going to break into. There, she's like saying there's no back there's no backway entrance into it, though. And Buffy's making suggestions. She's like, well, we could stake out the entrance and maybe use a decoy and lure them out, right? And Jonathan's like, or oh, I bet. And he takes the computer from Willow, does a little, you know, clickety-clackety on his own, and he solves it, right? He says, there, we can get in that way. And Willow's like, why didn't I think of that? And Jonathan's like, I'm sure you would have, because he's a supportive like that leader. that time he used his computer skills back in season one to beat Moloch. Praise Moloch. So Jonathan lays out the plan for everybody, right? As he usually does. <laughs> he throws a stake at Buffy and says, you go in first. Let them get a look at the Slayer. <laughs> and then he pauses briefly to <laughs> checkmate Giles in a chess match. I'm I do sorry. love this trope, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like anytime we want to prove a character is really intelligent, we have them make some random move in a chess match. And then say something inscrutable like, ah, mate in four moves. Yes. So I, I'm not a chess head. And I would love for somebody more knowledgeable in chess, could you like freeze frame that part of the episode and look at the board and tell us if the move that Jonathan did makes sense and if it's actually as good as... I, w I would just be curious, like, how far did the prop people go in, in this uh, in this trope? But I, I, I love that trope. Like, it's a really good way of establishing how smart somebody is. Um, but it's also just so stereotypical, right? Because it's like, you could be smart and just not be good at playing chess. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is such a funny way to put this in the episode because the episode's showing us what we've already known for four seasons, right? That Jonathan is not only better at Willow at tech, 
He's better at Giles than chess. He's better at fighting than Buffy. And he's admired by everybody in this room. <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, Xander's all about like, you know, talking about how it's not it's not just how you uh draw the stake, right? It's you gotta make sure the end's pointing the right way. He learned that from Jonathan. Exactly. Jonathan spent a lot of time after Xander was defeated by Harmony. <laughs> uh, Jonathan worked with him really closely this season. So the plan is Buffy goes in first, Xander, Willow, and Anya follow up, and then he'll be the surprised guest. So they go to the tomb, um, they burst in, Buffy kills one of them, one of the vampires with a crossbow. And I was like, is that the first time we've ever seen a crossbow actually kill? She, yeah, right? Like she always takes this terrible weapon. So I guess there is a first time for everything. She uh, kills, I think, two of them. Jonathan bursts in and kills all of the rest. And Buffy's really disappointed that one got away from her. And Jonathan's like, you know, consoling her. Like, don't worry. doesn't matter as long as you did your best. And on their way out, um, the paparazzi are there to take photos of Jonathan. And Anya is saying, like, how if the vampires all rushed at Buffy, they could have killed her right away. And Buffy's like, oh, like, thanks, thanks, Anya. That won't keep me up all night. Obviously, it was a worry of hers. <laughs> and Jonathan says, vampires only form nests to make hunting easier. They're not big on the cooperation. They mostly like to hang out all creepy and alone in the shadows. Don't you agree, Spike? <laughs> and indeed, Spike... <laughs> Has been lurking in the shadows because vampires gonna lurk. Is that what they do in the shadows? <laughs> exactly. Um, so he comes out. He's like, "Well, well, well." The man himself, because we've loved for many years now. We've loved the dynamic between Spike and Jonathan. So much chemistry. So much. Their sexual tension actually is what has kept me. Well, ever enthused. since Jonathan saved Buffy at the school. Um, parents night right 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 because hard. spike had come to kill the slayer and jonathan intervened and you know that was that i feel like that was really the point where jonathan established himself as like an ally to buffy the vampire slayer right like up yeah. until that point he was he was doing everything right and then he really stepped in and that's when buffy really was able to get a hang on this whole vampire problem in sunnydale he ran Spike out of town and Spike came back earlier this season. And thanks to Jonathan, you know, getting the gem of Amara off of him and sending it for safekeeping down to Los Angeles. Like, right. And we, we I mean, oh, the, God, their relationship is so good because remember, like we really thought that they had found that truce at the end of Becoming Part 2 when they teamed up to take down Angelus. Yes. Oh, like, oh, these two have come so far, Kara. Here they are. They're they're one on one again, and um, <laughs> Spike is saying he wasn't exactly pining for a noisy visit from Wonder Jonathan and his fluffy battle kitten, <laughs> is what he calls Buffy. And Buffy's like, "Yeah, you think that one up in all this time of you not being able to bite people?" And Jonathan's like, "Careful, he's still pretty dangerous." And Buffy's like, "Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> and Spike's like, "Back off, Betty." And Buffy's like, "It's Buffy, you big bleached stupid guy." <laughs> And Spike just rolls his eyes at her. And Jonathan's like, Spike, you're the worst kind of scum. The second you're back to your old tricks, well, let's just say, before you even sniff out your first victim, you'll be indistinguishable from, oh, what should we say? Instant soup mix. Ooh, snap. So that got the best of Spike, obviously. And they, they leave. There's a lot of good zingers in this episode. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, so I mean, obviously, we're in a couple scenes in now. Um, this is what I mean when I when I watched this episode. I was like, I'm really enjoying it at this point. It's just like, 
it's like what <laughs> like the lines are good the dialogue's good the action's good it's just it's really it starts off strong we're at Tara's dorm room. Willow and Tara are doing some sort of cut and paste collaging. And uh, Willow's telling her about the vampire nest action. Tara asks if Buffy's okay. And she's talking about the faith stuff that we were just getting out of. And I will say, Carl, like, do you find it interesting that this episode comes, like, follows right after the faith storyline? I think we needed an episode like this, right? Because... Buffy and Riley went through so much. And as we're going to see in this episode, they do need to kind of let those emotions sit and deal with them and talk them out. So it makes sense to have an episode like this where other than a brief appearance from Adam to remind us that he's there, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, it doesn't really advance the story arc, but it is, it's, it's this sequel episode where we get to process what the characters went through the past two episodes and I, I think that makes a lot of sense and it's a really smart thing as long as we get more traction on this adam thing for the rest of the season <laughs> shifty eyes uh so this is also really good to show us that like you know this is a very normal episode we're used to seeing jonathan kick ass and everything but um a lot of this conversation and in the next scene too it is a carry-on from the last episode meaning that things are the same right like okay we're going to continue on with these storylines yeah. Because, you know, definitely nothing is out of the ordinary at all. <laughs> so, But you have to remember, like, up until, you know, this year, Tara had only heard of Jonathan on the media. But this mm. is like the first time that she's really met him. Right. So. Right. Right. You know, I, I think Tara's also feeling a little overwhelmed right now that she's like in proximity to Jonathan. Who wouldn't feel that way, honestly? Willow's saying that, yeah, like Buffy's really freaked out about the the Faith stuff and like the whole Faith sleeping with Riley. Um, you know, the whole thing has made her feel weird. And Willow says, like, I'm sure, you know, it'll be all over and they're making up with the smoochie soon. What they're doing is they are creating a giant Jonathan shrine on Tara's wall. Be. As they should be. Um, I, I do wonder, though, because we're seeing these witches, right, put this like put up this shrine. I wonder if this might be a little a little thing for the audience to wonder if maybe witches are behind something weird. We don't know what's going on. Everything's normal right now. Ooh, OK, I like that theory. Right. But like what like some people who are new to the show might be watching this and be like, huh, is it something they're doing? Right. Yeah. Riley's shirtless. Shirtless Riley in his room playing basketball. Yay. Yay. I mean, I will. Like, Riley has got a good body, right? He's really in shape. He says he's getting stronger. Buffy's on his bed. She, he's saying that he's getting a lot stronger. Uh, he's no Jonathan, but he's doing okay. <laughs> and Buffy's like, You're not eating the initiative's technicolor food of strongness anymore. And Riley's like, No, they said they stopped treating the food, but I'm not taking any chances. Riley doesn't trust them anymore. He's like, I don't know if that means I'll get weaker or dumber or smarter. And I was like, Riley, it's not possible for one of those things to happen. <laughs> But which one it is, is up to you, loyal listeners. <laughs> Decide for yourself which one I mean. Um, so Riley says that he doesn't, you know, they haven't released a full profile on Adam um, and they can't find him yet. And Riley's like, I know that I can get the job done. I know I can find Adam if they just put a little trust in me. And Buffy's like, yeah, I felt like that my entire life. And it's so true. Like Buffy's been living in Jonathan's shadow for a really long time. We want her to rise up. Yeah. Riley sits next to Buffy and Buffy immediately gets up because that's a little bit too close for her. Uh, she pretends to throw the basketball and misses, right? So while Riley's like, you just need some pointers. And he gets up behind her 
And he's trying to make a physical move on her with his shirtless body, trying to start up something here. And Buffy gets nervous and uncomfortable, and she she goes. And I was like, Riley, did you really think that was going to work? Like, you pressing up on her from behind? Um, the next day, Buffy's with Jonathan at the coffee place in, um, in Sunnydale. The only cafe in Sunnydale. Yes. <laughs> it's not the bronze. It's it's not the student cafeteria. It's it's the coffee place. And uh, she's saying that Faith, it, this is all Faith's fault, right? She's like poison. She's like acid that eats away at everything. She's like a bomb. Everything was going great with Riley. And then she comes and messes everything yeah, up. Every, everything was totally going great with Riley. He certainly wasn't in withdrawal from military provided <laughs> drugs. Mourning the loss of his mother figure, you know, you're you're absolutely right, Buffy. This is just all Faith's doing. Oh my god, this is like the reversal of last season where Faith is like Buffy. Everything's Buffy's doing. It's like you guys look at yourselves. <laughs> so, um, what I really love about this part right here is that Buffy's making Jonathan's coffee. <laughs> like she's like get like pouring like the stuff in it and mixing it for him. <laughs> Uh, so um, she gives it to him and, and Jonathan says I don't think you're angry with Faith Buffy I think you're angry with Riley and a girl asks Jonathan for his autograph which happens often he signs it and he tells Buffy you have an amazing connection with Riley and one moment when it matters the most he looks into your eyes and doesn't see that it isn't you looking back at him and Buffy says there's no way he could know you know like you don't look at someone and say that that's not your body get out of that body with your hands up <laughs> And Jonathan says, I know you know that, but you have to believe it. If there's any part of you blaming Riley for what happened, there's a part of you that still needs to forgive him. Damn. Jonathan gives such good advice. I do think that's good advice. The girl runs up, a girl runs up and she's like, Jonathan, please sign my book. And her name's Karen. And he signs it for her. And she's like, thank you. <laughs> like runs away. Um, and Buffy's like, maybe I have been blaming him, but how do I get past it? What if it's too late? What if after all this, he doesn't want me anymore? And Jonathan says, he, he does. It's not going to be easy, Buffy, but you guys are very special together. Um, <laughs> this It's worth a little hard work. And again, I think that's good advice. So Buffy pays for the coffee, which is so funny. She leaves the money on the on the table as they get up to go. And Buffy says, I'm not sure if I know how to talk to him anymore. How do I make it okay again? And Jonathan says, if you really want it, you can make it anything happen. And he's standing in front of his giant billboard, which is like light as a feather sneaker brand or something. <laughs> so funny. So then we cut to the initiative where we got a new military bigwig in from Washington. So maybe this was the guy that uh, Dr. Engelman was referencing before he died mysteriously. Took him long enough to get here, but yep. <laughs> Colonel George Haviland. And he says, you know, he's got this gruff military persona. He's like, I'm the commanding officer here until the facility review is completed. But he reassures everybody that they're still there to hunt monsters. Yay. Yay. Pri our primary responsibility is recovering the hostile known as Adam. And he says, to this end, I've asked our tactical consultant here to address us today, Mr. Levinson. And Jonathan steps out. <laughs> and he's dressed in, like, fatigues. Yeah. But there is a dramatic height difference, right? Oh, yeah. It's like, it's, it's like you couldn't find a shorter man next to a taller man. You know? And this is emphasized by the ironic comment from our buddy Graham, who says to Riley, he's like, it's about time they bring out the big guns. <laughs> okay, I just love it, though. I love the imagery of Jonathan standing next to the colonel and all these giant chiseled military men 
standing around this table and they're all in awe of Jonathan. <laughs> As they should be, yeah, right? Yeah, Good yeah. things come in small packages sometimes. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so Jonathan lays out a schematic of Adam's body and saying, you know, we need to understand Adam better in order to get him. And he's like, there's something that's been bothering me from the start of this because Jonathan has been following this whole development of the initiative going sour and everything since the beginning of the season, right? Since right. he showed up at UC Sunnydale, and you know, the initiative came to him the first time that they needed his help. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so he says, Adam doesn't eat, you know, he kills, but he doesn't eat the victim. So what's up with that? And he says, I've discovered it's really hidden in the plans here, but I've discovered that he's powered by a small reservoir of uranium 235. So Adam it has atomic power, basically. Wow. He's powered off the radioactive decay of an element. Can I so, say how annoyed that makes me with Maggie Walsh? Because she's like bitching at Buffy for touching a $20,000 camera <laughs> when clearly she's had got this uranium that's cost yeah, millions like of dollars. Oh, yeah. Like, you know... She must have had some really good favors to call in from the rest of the U.S. government because that stuff is very hard to get your hands on. Right. Not that I know anything about that. Yeah. Please don't put me on a watch list at NSA. <laughs> um, Riley's like, well, how long is the uranium going to last? Because Riley did pass high school chemistry, apparently. <laughs> Jonathan's like, forever, Riley. God. Duh. So like, even cutting off his head wouldn't work because his body would just still be power. So he's like, we got to like completely annihilate him. But first, first, we have to find him. Um, and you also got to be careful, right? Because if you if annihilating him spreads radioactive uranium particles everywhere, that would also be bad. Riley. <laughs> Riley. <laughs> Riley's one of those guys where it's like you tell, you know, it's kind of like um, fear itself when <laughs> Giles is telling Buffy how to break the spell of the house. And he's like destroying the symbol, and Buffy does it before yeah. he finishes his. That would be what Riley does with destroying Adam. And Jonathan would be like blowing up Adam, and Riley would do it. And then Jonathan would be like, "We'll scatter radioactive particles throughout the atmosphere." Exactly, exactly. And that's a spoiler alert for what for the season finale of this <laughs> season four. After the briefing, we cut to Jonathan's mansion on the outside, and we see Karen there. And she's like, come on, Jonathan, where are you? Like, she's like, wait, she's stalking him, basically. Full stalker mode. Yeah, she's in stalker mode. She's in Maggie Walsh mode. (laughs) Ooh. Um, But then she's attacked by this, like, big demon with really long arms. Um, And it cuts her up a bit, but she she manages to get away, which, good for her. Like, how many people do we see die from demon attacks in Sunnydale? I'm surprised she got away. Like, she booked it out of there. She's a fast runner. She's, She's a runner. She's a track star. And, um... Good for her, honestly. Good for Karen, even though we don't know why you're stalking Jonathan outside his mansion. Riley's talking to Jonathan after the meeting um, about Buffy. He says he feels terrible, and Jonathan says she's ready to forget it. You know, you you should be ready too. And Riley's like, I don't know if she'll ever forget it. Every time I try to touch her, like she won't let me. And Jonathan says she's scared of what you're thinking about. She knows the fa- that faith is experienced. And Riley is confused, and because <laughs> Riley gets confused, and then he's like, Oh, wait, she thinks I'd be comparing. Well, she knows that she's the only one I care about. I, I mean, she should know. And Jonathan's like, people can't see what's right in front of them. And that's as he blindfolds himself so that he can practice shooting his gun blindfolded at Marines or 
army men who have apples on top of their heads. Okay, so here's here's where I want to talk a little bit about Riley and what happened before. Yeah. It's very clear, and you and I guessed so much in the last episode, but it, it's very clear that they are not going to dive into the rape part of what happened with Faith. Buffy and Riley are treating it like it's more about that he slept with Faith. It's not so much that Faith took advantage and tricked and deceived Riley into having sex. Not just raping Riley in that situation, but raping Buffy's body as well. They're obviously not going to touch on it, and I didn't think that they would. But I wish they would because, like, I'm here for that story. I'm here for that storytelling of a male survivor, right? Especially a male that's like Riley, who, like, represents someone who's supposed to be strong, a soldier, Mm -hmm. a leader. How wonderful would it have been to dive into that complexity and that type of situation, but instead, obviously, they gloss right by it. Yeah, and I think partly, it's just the show is so obsessed with convincing us that Buffy and Riley, Ruffy, are a good thing, and that they work well together. You know, this is, it's like they dangled this in front of us as a complication in their relationship. And they're like, oh, no, like, will Ruffy survive this? Tune in next week to find out. (laughs) And then they're like, yeah, don't worry. They'll survive it because they're meant to be together. It's just like, no. no. I mean, Jonathan said earlier, like, it's complicated. It's complicated. Like, is it? I mean, they don't seem to be diving into the complicated levels that it could have that would actually make it more dynamic. means, unfortunately, that basically they've used rape as a plot device, which is lazy and, like, just so terrible. Yeah, and I know that we've received a couple of hot stakes, one that some, one that we read out last week too, about people being disappointed in Buffy for not considering so much Riley being a victim and being more about the cheating angle of it. And and like I agree with that. I, I really do wish that she would see it on on the way the way that it actually is and not be so worried. But it's just like back in season three when she was like concerned with Angel and the cheating, right? Where Angel like made out with Faith as a way to sell that he had lost his soul, right? And it didn't mean anything, but Buffy had a problem with that too. So I do see some consistency in Buffy's character that way, but it's also sad to see Buffy not growing in her next relationship about like over that issue, right? Yeah. And then, yeah. And then on top of that though, I think her conversation with Jonathan actually, I think it laid out pretty well how Buffy's conflicted about the situation. She knows. She knows that Riley didn't cheat. He know, She knows that he didn't mean it, but she can't help but feel disappointed or um, upset about it. And I think that's okay. I think that's fair to admit that that's why she's feeling the way she's feeling. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's interesting because we, of course, only get really get Buffy's point of view on this whole thing. And other than the scenes where Riley's talking to Buffy... Um, and this scene that we just had with Jonathan, where he doesn't really open up that much. It's like, we don't really see what's going on in Riley's head. And again, like, ugh, like, Riley, you were a victim. Like, I wish we could. I wish we could hear what you thought about this. But of course, like, back at the time, you know, male rape was probably not something that was really considered a real thing or taken seriously enough to talk about it on a show like this, you know? It's a shame. So... Let's cut to the bronze because they are having swing night, <laughs> like 1940s, 50s swing night. And I love it. I'm obsessed. I would go to this. The Scoobies are at a table. Uh, Xander is upset that Anya moaned Jonathan's name <laughs> during sex. Can you blame her? 
know. <laughs> it's like when I'm not moaning Angel's name, I'm moaning Jonathan's. <laughs> and Riley says, um, you know, quite the couple. He's talking to Buffy and Buffy's like, um, yep, if they get into a fist fight, I've got a 50 on Anya. And uh, Riley says, I wonder if they'll make it. And Buffy just stares at him. Oh, my God, Riley. Come on. So Jonathan takes the stage in his white suit looking good. Tara and Willow join their table, uh, which is also cute. And Jonathan dedicates the next song to friends of his, a special couple that are going through a tough time. <laughs> so Jonathan starts singing. He's a crooner, right? He's he's like Frank Sinatra himself. And right, and apparently, hey, here's some trivia for you, Kara. That is not the actor who plays Jonathan's voice. I'm not surprised. It, the voice is actually Tucker. Remember from the prom? Tucker with the hellhounds. Wow. Apparently that's him singing. So. Okay. Good for him. Riley offers his hand to Buffy to dance and she takes it and they dance very tentatively at first, but then Buffy gets really into it. And Riley says, Buffy, I want you to know. And Buffy's like, no talk, more dance. And Ruffy and Riley, Ruffy. <laughs> and Riley says he wants to say sorry. And, and it's only her that he wants. And Buffy's like, she, I know, I know. And Riley's like, you do. Since when? And Buffy's like, since you put your arms around me. Uh, okay. And then they keep dancing. And I guess they're in love. Um, Jonathan takes out a trumpet now. And he starts to play. And Tara's so cute. She's like, oh, my God. He's going to do something from the new album. <laughs> and uh, as he plays, Anya and Xander are both turned on. And Anya's like, Xander? He's like, yeah. She's like, let's go have sex. And she's like, yeah. And they go and, and they leave. Um that's when Karen, the runner, the track star, runs in and is all beat up. And she runs right past Buffy, who wants to help her, to Jonathan's arms. And he's like, oh, are you hurt? Karen, it's Karen, right? Like, I can help you. I love how he always remembers their names. I know. He's, he's just the best, isn't he? So Jonathan takes Karen to his mansion um, because, you know, she's telling him, like, I was attacked there. And when they get there, Sunnydale's finest are there. Um, and the sergeant says, Mr. Levinson, someone on your staff reported a disturbance. When I realized it was on your property, I thought I'd better come down in person. He's all <laughs> deferential, as he should be to Jonathan. And Jonathan reassures this guy, you know, I got it under control. So the cop leaves. And uh, Karen's describing the demon. So um, she's like describing in particular, there's this mark on the forehead of the demon. And it looks super ugly. It's got like scabs and everything. And Riley gives her something to draw with. So she sketches out the symbol. Uh, and Jonathan's like, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. No big deal, peeps. You know, it's just a monster. It's not much more than an animal. It's not going to come near the populated areas. Uh, it's not going to attack again. And Buffy's a little skeptical of this. She's like, hey, you know, maybe maybe we should patrol. <laughs> Riley offers to mobilize a squad. And Jonathan's like, no, it's fine. Kara just startled it. He's like, it was probably more afraid of you than you were afraid of it. <laughs> okay. Like it's a raccoon or something. Yeah, like a bear. <laughs> so he promises to take responsibility for this. And then he's like, let's make sure Karen gets home safely. And the scene ends with Buffy. Like, you can see she's confused, but also like, this is sus. Yeah, she's very like, wait a second. Her, I think, well, I mean, Buffy's Slayer senses start tingling here. She's like, something's off. So 
let's go to Sunnydale Library because I don't know. I guess we have to, right? Um, there's a dead body on the ground and Adam. Adam's at the computers and the TV screens doing something. No one knows what. And I'll, I'll be honest, the vampire that he's with, he's got a vampire minion with him. He is way more interesting than Adam. So fun fact, this vampire is played by somebody who in this episode, he's credited as Robert Patrick Benedict. But these days he just gets credited as Rob Benedict. And people might recognize him out of Vamp Face as uh, playing Chuck, a.k.a. God, from Supernatural. Okay, yeah, so I know him from Waiting, which was a server movie starring Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> That's nice. how I know him. Yeah. <laughs> and I agree with you. He's way more interesting than Adam in this scene. Oh, God. So, so Adam, like, apparently knew that this librarian was going to die of a blood disease before she knew um he just he just knows molecular cells i guess so the vampire is like saying you're an evil messiah guy you know there's something new in town it attacked a girl and it caused a fuss and he points at jonathan who's on the tv screens like jonathan's on the tv screens getting an award and being at a movie premiere and on a talk show (laughs) like and um the vampire points to him and says um he was there, Jonathan. And Adam's like, uh, who is that guy, right? And Jonathan <laughs> The vampire's like, Jonathan. He, it, it, it's Jonathan. <laughs> and um, Like, how do you explain Jonathan? But yeah, I don't know, right? So that's why he's like, well, is, Jonathan is Jonathan, right? And Adam's like, these are lies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Adam's weaponizing our own catchphrases against us. What an evil villain. Even Moloch, praise Moloch, wouldn't dare. <laughs> so, yeah, he says this is not real. What? He's saying Jonathan's not real? He's saying the, the world has been changed. It's intriguing, but it's wrong. And the vampire's like, feels okay to me. And Adam's like, you're under his spell, just like the others. It seems I'm the only one who's not. And the vampire's like, well, what makes you so special? Indeed, indeed, vampire. And Adam's like, I know every molecule of myself and everything around me. No human, no demon has ever been as awake and alive as I am. You are all just shadows. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. Steph, are you telling me that this whole Jonathan thing is some kind of facade? I I don't know. I don't know what Adam is talking about, but he just described why he would know better than us because we're shadows and he's not. And I can only take him at I his just, word. I'm so confused. I don't What's know what to think. On? I don't know what to think. I don't know what to think. The Matrix starring Jonathan is my favorite movie. <laughs> As it should be. Uh, yeah, and I don't know who else could possibly star in that movie if not Jonathan. So... The vampire says, like, well, we could kill Jonathan. And Adam said, I don't have to do anything. These magics are unstable, corrosive. They will inevitably lead to chaos. And I'm interested in chaos. Like, this is what I mean about Adam not being a great villain is none of what he's saying makes any sense. Oh, so, like, you know yourself down to the molecular level, so you're immune to magic? Like... Well, and I don't... This doesn't make sense because later we're going to talk about Riley and magic um, in a scene that comes up. So... Adam, in my opinion, shouldn't have anything to do with magic either. It's very clear the initiative like has zero knowledge of magic. And because Adam comes from the initiative, in my head, he would also not have any understanding of magic. Right? Well, and he's like, oh, you know, this is going to lead to chaos. And I'm interested. It's just like nothing. He's, he sounds like a 15-year-old boy in his parents' basement who thinks he's an edgelord on the <laughs> internet. Like none of what he... He sounds like Jordan Peterson. Like... None of what he's saying, actually, if you dissect it and look for meaning in it, 
semantically, it is void. There is nothing going on here. He also doesn't like chaos. He likes order. That's why he's trying to figure out all the, like the biology of all these demons and humans. Yeah, I just... that's like the chaos he caused was like sending vampires up to a church, who and they didn't even end up doing anything in the last yeah, it's, episode. It, it's just like compared to somebody like the mayor or even the master. Like the master had his flaws, especially when it comes to management. But at least he had a very clear objective. He's like. I'm going to escape my prison <laughs> and I'm going to take over Sunnydale and kill everybody, right? You right. know, feed off all the humans. You can't fault him. He was very clear about his goals. And the mayor, same way. He's, he literally built Sunnydale in order to achieve his ascension 100 years later. Meanwhile, Adam's prancing around out here being like, I don't know who I am. I'm just going to be edgy and chaotic. Lol. Right. Watching Lamau. the late show at the library. <laughs> And also, I'm sorry, but Ethan Rain is a million times better at chaos than this. Look at what he did in Band Candy. Look what he did at Halloween. So anyway, griping over, let's cut to Jonathan, who's standing in front of his fireplace thinking. Um, a blonde woman in underwear appears and asks if, she's, if he's coming to bed. And then her twin sister appears and says, like, same thing, like, getting late. And he's like, I'll be up there soon. And we see that on his shoulder, he has the mark that Karen drew out <gasps> earlier. Quick question. I don't think you'll have the answer to this, but I think somebody, maybe, maybe I don't want to know. But, like, the intrigue with twins, like, the sexual fantasy of twins. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I don't find incest hot. So I don't understand this fantasy. <sighs> <laughs> I wish the listeners could see Kara take that in, <laughs> consider it, and then just, oh. <laughs> Are the twins sleeping with each other? I, I assume, like, they're both in underwear, and they're both, like, come to bed. So I'm thinking threesome. And this is something that, like, I don't know, I've seen this in media before, right? Where the man gets the hot twins. But I'm like, that's incest. Right, well, well, I understand him sleeping with each of them in sequence separately <laughs> like i just <laughs> this really stumped us because i'm like okay my head is there's a threesome so they all do stuff together possibly they don't touch each other is but it even still then incest if one of them is just watching i think so i think so <laughs> i have a sister I and i can very... guarantee you i would never want to be in a situation where she's anywhere near <laughs> i uh... Why, why did you bring this up, Steph? I didn't bring it up. Important? Jonathan brought it up. Write <laughs> <laughs> in. Write <laughs> in. Let us know. I'd rather they not. I just, I just saying the twin trope, the twin fantasy, I never get. I don't understand it. So Willow is telling Buffy that she's glad she's okay. So Willow, Tara, and Buffy are walking back to campus. The 8K back to campus from the bronze. And Tara is saying, I guess you have to go fight this thing, right? And Willow says the weapons are back at Giles's, but it won't take long. Willow, what are you talking about? I walked the distance myself. It's going to take you an hour and a half to get back to Giles's, get the weapons, find the beast, and then an hour and a half to come back to campus. You're gone all night, babe. <laughs> so... Buffy says that Jonathan said it's it's fine. Like, it's just a brainless beast and he's going to take care of it himself. Um, but he did seem a little scared. And Willow says, 
this is Jonathan. You know, he doesn't get scared. Uh, you talked about that when you gave him the class protector award at prom. <laughs> great episode. Great moment. Such a great episode. I cried when he got that little umbrella. <laughs> he really he really deserved it. It fits so well in his tiny hands. Right? And then fucking Sunday broke it on him. And he got his revenge on her, obviously. Oh, I'm so but, mad. So... Um, Buffy agrees with her. Um, Tara says, okay, this is my exit. See you tomorrow. And it's so clear that her and Willow want to like kiss goodbye, but um, they can't because Buffy's there. And uh, Willow does touch her hand as she leaves. And like Buffy's like, bye. And I'm like, Buffy, open your eyes. <laughs> open your eyes. Although I, I will say, I don't know if um, it is. At, I mean, it's obvious to us because we've been watching the development all season. I think it would be more obvious to Buffy if she weren't so wrapped up in her own stuff right now. <sighs> and her own stuff being roughy because immediately after they start talking about roughy and Willow's asking like how it's going and Buffy said it was a great dance and for the first time it felt like Faith wasn't there no one was there but us so Buffy's trying to work through her issues right she's doing her best to move on and you know get over the hurt that she feels in that situation in her dorm hall this is sad Tara gets attacked that big giant gangly armed demon runs out at her Um, she manages to cast a spell of smoke uh, to confuse it and she locks herself in in a janitor's closet but it's scary and she does get beaten up a bit this is not the first time she's been attacked by monsters in the dorms right I know, and this is actually a pretty scary monster of the week. So, like, the gentleman yeah. plus this guy, like, sucks. Why are you picking on Tara? She's a sweetheart. The next morning, um, Buffy is at Tara's dorm room because Willow's there. And Willow says she was in there all night in the janitor's closet. Someone just found her. And she's um, really, in, she's almost in shock because she's lying on the bed. Buffy's like, what did this? And Tara describes the the same demon, the same monster that Karen had described earlier. And um, Buffy draws out the symbol and Tara nods that that, that was on the monster. Um, Willow says, Buffy, Jonathan said that we were all safe. Jonathan said it. Yeah, this is so confusing to me. It's like Jonathan has never lied to them at all in the past three and a half seasons. Like, what's going on? I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like my whole world is unraveling right now. Buffy's walking past all the Jonathan banners that are hanging on the wall. <laughs> um, she goes to Xander's and Anya's there. And Anya's like, he's not here. And then Buffy, <laughs> Buffy's still standing there. So she's like, why aren't you going away? <laughs> so Buffy said, I was hoping to look at some of Xander's things. And Xander's like, okay, sure. Come on in. Make yourself at home. And so on and so on. Because she's trying to do the human thing and be polite. But she's very clearly like, don't come in. And I, you know what? I think... In some cases, you could be like, Anya's so rude, even though you know that she doesn't understand human uh, interactions sometimes. On the other hand, I think if you're an introvert, you might actually feel the way Anya feels when people just show up out of the blue. I don't, yeah, I don't see Anya as being rude in this scene. It's just awkward because we haven't really seen Buffy and Anya interact much one-on-one, right? Usually Xander's there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. And I think, um, like, I think... We do, and the fandom always cuts Anya a lot of slack. Just like Cordelia, right? We give Cordelia the funny privilege, right? Like, she gets away with saying things because it's funny. Um, and same with Anya. But, like, sometimes I I do catch myself hearing something she says, and I think that it is kind of rude, but I give her the pass because she's not used to these kind of conversations. But, yeah, that's, that, that, that's why I brought that up now. But, yeah, I agree with you. It is very awkward. Um, Anya's on the couch trying to read Jonathan's book um, called Oh, Jonathan, an autobiography. 
And um, Buffy's looking at Xander's stuff of Jonathan. He's got a lot. He's got like collectors, traders cards, um, comic books. He's got posters up. And um, she sits next to Anya on the couch and she says, don't you think it's strange that Jonathan's good at everything? And Anya's like, well, he's Jonathan, right? Obviously. And Buffy grabs the book from Anya and she's like, hey, I'm just getting to the part where he invented the internet. (laughs) So Buffy says, like, he fights better than I do and I'm the slayer. Like the slayer. That's supposed to mean something, right? And Anya's like, oh, um... Buck up, you. You you kill the best. Go, you. (laughs) And Buffy's like, no, I'm not needing validation, but thanks. Um, And then she says, Anya, when you were a demon, you granted wishes, right? And Anya confirms that she did. And Buffy's like, well, Mm -hmm. someone could wish the whole world were different, right? Like, that's possible. And remember the wish? It is 100% possible. I do. But Jonathan, you know, smashed Anya's power center and brought reality back to normal. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um... What an epic episode that was. So we know what they were talking about, but Buffy doesn't remember that. Remember. So Anya says about alternate realities, she's like, you could have a world without shrimp or nothing but shrimp. Or you could make a freaky world where Jonathan's some kind of not perfect mouth breather. Um, And if that's blowing up your skirt these days, just don't ask me to live there. Now, can I have my book back? um, And don't you have somewhere else to be, right? So she's like, okay, that's enough. World without shrimp. Such a classic line. I know. I love it. And I also really love that like she presents us with this alternate reality where Jonathan isn't the best at everything, which is very strange to think about. All right. So we cut to the, the Scoobies all at Giles's house because Buffy's called a meeting and she's saying it just doesn't make sense with Jonathan. So she's carried this conversation from Anya and Xander's house all the way to Giles's. You know, he started the Matrix, but he never left town. How did he graduate from med school when he's only 18 years old? And Xander says, effective time management. <laughs> and Giles is like, I'm sorry, Buffy, but I don't, I don't understand what you're trying to say. And that's when Anya says, when is Jonathan going to get here and start the meeting? <laughs> and Buffy's like, this is the meeting. And Willow's like, this is the meeting? <laughs> Buffy's like, yeah, like I was wondering if maybe anyone else thought that Jonathan was kind of too perfect. <gasps> what? And Xander's in disbelief. Xander's like, no, he's just perfect enough. <laughs> he, he crushed the bones of the master. He blew up the big snake made out of mare. And he coached the women's soccer team, the U.S. women's soccer team, to a stunning World Cup victory. We saw him do these things. <laughs> Um, and Buffy's like, that's just it. I'm not entirely sure that we can trust our memories. Anya, tell them w- about the alternate alternate universes. And Anya starts to tell them about the shrimp. <laughs> She's like, you really like shrimp a lot. Or we can say you don't like shrimp at all. And you wish, oh, there weren't any shrimp, you'd say to yourself. And Buffy's like, no, you're saying it wrong. <laughs> Buffy, suddenly the expert on how to explain about alternate realities. <laughs> so funny um so buffy's like okay i think that jonathan may be doing something so he's manipulating the world and we're all like his pawns and anya's like or prawns <laughs> i love these puns i love fish puns everyone knows that so buffy's like stop with the shrimp i'm trying to do something here and giles says of course but i think you may be a little out of your depth and Buffy says, oh I'm not. And oh, Kara, like, I just, I know, okay, I know that something is odd. I'm with Buffy here. I'm believing Buffy. Something's going on. We don't know what, but something's up with Jonathan, okay? He's making a compelling case. 
Yeah, and, I'm, you know, I'm hearing her We out. know what she doesn't, which is that something weird is going on because Adam said it and he's a very reliable narrator. Yes, yes. If anything, Adam is why I believe this. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm saying in the past, we have seen the Scoobies not believe Buffy. Since season one, we've right. seen this. And we gave them kudos last episode when they believed Buffy right away about the switching of the bodies. Um, and even before that with the initiative, like we were giving the last couple episodes has been fine. But here we are again with the Scoobies not believing Buffy and being like, I don't know, this seems out of whack. And like Buffy's the slayer. She has slayer senses and we should definitely take that into consideration. And I don't think the Scoobies do. That's what do. Riley says. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Riley says that right next. He says that next. He says, um, it sounds like nonsense, but I'm starting to know this girl pretty well. And I think she sees things that the rest of us don't. I think for once we should follow her lead. And I was like, well done, Riley. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. But also, does he think this is going to get him laid? <laughs> I think <laughs> he's being way. very genuine here. I think he's right. Buffy definitely sees things he doesn't see because Riley doesn't see much. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's a good al- It's I'm glad he's your ally right now, Buffy, but he's not the best ally in this situation. Um, so the, the Scoobies don't look happy about this at all. And Buffy says, I think Jonathan might be ignoring evidence. I think he might have ha- I might he might have let Tara get hurt, not on purpose, but the monster had a mark on it and Jonathan saw it and he blinked and xander says the man moistens his eyeballs and we're having a meeting about it so ooh, so so here see i saw red when he said that because just like i said just now we gave the scooby some slack because they believed buffy the last couple episodes well xander's been fine this season in my opinion whatever he's he's fine this brought me screaming back to is turning into a red panda before my very eyes <laughs> And yeah, I'm going to be like in uh, turning red. I'm just going to explode in anger because I'm going back to like becoming to dead man's party to revelations every time they had some sort of intervention or big group meeting like this one. And Xander doesn't believe her or it's just his tone. It's his tone of his like, is that right? And like, oh, we're going to have a meeting over this. It's like, ooh, ooh, it just bothers. It bothers me. <laughs> Even Buffy having prophecy dreams in this season about, you know, the gentleman coming and Hush and stuff and Giles being like, it's probably nothing. Right? Oh, he just like circles the gentleman over and over again in his research. Um, I don't know what's going on. I think they should hear Buffy out and I know it's hard for them. But when Xander said that and he keeps undermining what Buffy's saying, right? He doesn't want to believe her. He's choosing not to believe her. And I just hate that he will not even consider her perspective. He's automatically against it. So Buffy says that Jonathan knows something about the monster. He was reacting to the mark. And Giles, he's like, Giles, do you still have Jonathan's swimsuit calendar? (laughs) And Giles is like, no, yes, it was a gift. (laughs) So he pulls it out. And I love this because all the Scoobies are going through the calendar together. And like, there's one where Buffy's like, ooh, (laughs) Goes to the next one, and um, they get to the July issue, and uh, there is a mark on Jonathan's shoulder, and Anya's like, "Yep, pretty darn lickable." Oh my god! <laughs> and Willow says, "That's what Tara saw, like the mark." And Riley says, "Well, why would Jonathan have the same mark as the monster?" <laughs> and Buffy's like, "I don't know, but he's definitely keeping dot dot dot." And Jonathan is at the door, and he's again, like, "Nobody knocks." 
Yeah, of course not. I think the door was just open. Um, and Jonathan says, is this a private conversation? Or can Mr. July sit in? <laughs> so Anya says right away, Buffy was just saying that you had a monster cut up Willow's friend. Thanks, Anya. Buffy's like, no, it's just, it's the mark. You said it was safe and it wasn't. And I'm sorry, I just don't understand. And Jonathan's like, then I'll explain. And the Scoobies all like gather around him like it's story time. And he's like, Buffy is right. And <laughs> No. I know. This is actually, this made me laugh because Xander and Willow, like the look of shock on their faces. And Xander literally says, no. <laughs> and it's a well-placed joke, even though I'm annoyed with Xander. Um, so Jonathan says he has a history with the monster. Be- whenever he faces it, his mind becomes confused and there's some kind of power it possesses. And Xander says, oh, he's like your kryptonite. And Jonathan's like, maybe. It takes all my energy to try and fight my confusion. That's why I had the mark tattooed on me. So I wouldn't underestimate it next time. And Riley's like, well, that does explain everything. (laughs) Does it, Riley? (laughs) Well, it's not a terrible attempt at an explanation. Yeah, it's it's a little loosey-goosey to me, but like the, the it won't take much to convince this group that Jonathan is in the right. And Xander says, I knew he wouldn't do it on purpose. And Willow's like, the alternate universe thing was f- too freaky. And Buffy's like, Jonathan, let's go after the monster, you and me. And Jonathan's like, well, it's probably left town. You know, it's probably long gone. And Buffy's like, well, we can try. And Jonathan's like, sure, let's do that. And they go. So they go to the cemetery. Uh, I guess that's where they thought they should start. And Spike is approaching them and he's like oh look jonathan taking the little sidekick out on a walk are we and buffy's like shut up spike and (laughs) spike's like oh semi-harsh language from betty you're feisty when the big guy's standing beside you and okay so spike walks up to buffy and says someday sweet slayer i would love to take you on see you face the evil alone for once and he's caressing her face when he says that he's touching her hair and he lets his finger trace down her neck like toward her chest and when i was watching this i was like okay please don't sexually assault and harass buffy spike uh this was really uncomfortable for me for for a couple of reasons I do wonder if this is a carryover from Spike's encounter with Faith that you and I talked about extensively last episode. Does Spike know that they switched bodies? No, I don't think he does. I still think that in his mind, that was Buffy. I don't know when they tell him that. I don't think, yeah, well, I don't think anybody would bother, right? Like, they also don't know that he ran into Faith in Buffy's body. Yeah, that's between Spike and Faith at this point. So no, I don't think that he's aware but it, it's it's interesting to me because obviously their dynamic is completely off. Buffy's usually manhandling him, right? Because she can. In this episode, she's not. And Spike is taking advantage of that. Buffy is in a weakened, unsure, unconfident state. And it turns Spike on, in my opinion. Like, yeah. look at him. Her lack of power is giving him this edge where he feels like he can touch her. He feels like he can have a a dominance over her and it's gross. Don't touch her. That's like, I was like, don't fucking touch her. And Jonathan is the one that stops him and says, you know, that's enough of the creepy talk. And it's not just creepy talk, Jonathan. Like it's also that he touched her. So 
Um, Jonathan says, we're looking for a monster. Every demon in this town is gunning for you right now. So I figure you're probably keeping pretty good track of them. Big arms, mark on his head. Have you seen it? And Spike's like, nope. But then again, I'm probably lying. So Jonathan backs off him and says, like, we're not going to get anything out of him and leaves. And that's when Buffy aggressively shoves Spike against the tomb. And Spike is like, "Uh, what are you doing? You're not supposed to do that. (laughs) You're breaking the rules, mom. Uh, good punch him buffy um and buffy's like you're pretty much relying on butcher's blood these days right spike the butchers in the town in this town respect jonathan they do him a favor and you might find yourself getting a little thirsty and this works and this works so spike says i don't know much some vampires got kicked out of a cave in the hills um you know i don't know who did the kicking but he's probably pretty big that's all i know so as they walk away jonathan compliments buffy right so that that was pretty good that was very good we cut to back to Giles' house where the Scoobies are looking up spells in the books. And Riley is so confused about magic. He's like, he's like, these spells really work. Can you really turn your enemy inside out or learn to excrete gold coins? And I certainly hope that no one ever learns the spell on how to turn somebody inside out. Because that sounds really, really That would be gross. Terrible. Yes. Also, you can't do that because it's wrong. <laughs> because it's wrong. Um... Riley's mind is blown about the magic, like I'm saying, because I said earlier, like, Riley is coming from the science side of everything. The initiative was so science-focused that they didn't even consider magic as anything, right? And it actually blows my mind that the initiative doesn't is not aware of magic with the way that they deal with all these demons. But that that is tied into what we talked about earlier, right? The fact that Adam arguably in my mind shouldn't know anything about magic he should also be very science driven the way the way riley is uh willow says that you need to concentrate on the magic riley learn to be attuned with the forces of the universe and xander's like yeah right like you can't just go libre uh incendiary and expect and then boom his his book catches on fire because I, you know what, earlier at the beginning of this episode, you and I talked about how this is very nostalgic for us, this episode, like the Scoobies fighting vampires together, hanging out in Doing the library, research. aka Giles' house. Yeah. So Xander fucking up is actually like pretty on brand if we're going to go back there. Um, I love this because Giles is like, Xander, don't speak Latin in front of the books. <laughs> Good call, Giles. So Willow finds the mark and she's like, oh my God, it's an augmentation spell. Jonathan did an augmentation spell. And she says that like, um, it's him. It's how we see him. The spell turns the sorcerer into a sort of paragon, the best of everything, everyone's ideal. But there's a drawback. And the drawback is that um, the new force of good, uh, the spell will create an opposing force of evil. So the worst of everything, everyone's nightmare. Anya says, okay, so he created a monster. And Xander's like, well, he did a spell just to make us think that he's cool. That is so cool. No, it's not. Xander, it's like you you it's like we weren't there during Bewitched Bothered and Bewildered. When did you not learn that it's it's not cool to mind rape everybody in the world? <laughs> right. Oh well. Um okay, so we're backtracking Xander's development a little bit. Um Riley asks if Buffy and Jonathan are gonna be okay, and Giles is like, uh the well being of this creature is linked to Jonathan. So if it dies, the spell is broken and Jonathan reverts to whatever he was before. And Anya's like, Jonathan isn't gonna want Buffy to get very far dun, dun, dun. so quickly we cut to a cave in the hills buffy and jonathan are searching for the monster they're standing in front of a big old hole <laughs> and buffy says wow fall down there and you'll be dead for a while 
And Jonathan's like, yeah, we don't want that to happen. And he grabs Buffy's arm. That would be terrible. (laughs) (laughs) He says, come on. And he leads her away until the monster grabs him and throws him across the cave. It's like a jump scare. Um, Willow is saying Buffy was right. Buffy was right. And they're all shocked. Buffy was right, Kara. This is not Jonathan's show. This is Buffy's show. We've been had. I'm having a hard time with this. (laughs) This really is going to be a struggle for me. Riley says, um, well, if the world he created, um, if this is the world he created, what's the real world like? And Willow says, like, I'm scared because everything's going to change. And Giles is like, no, everything will will remain the same, um, except Jonathan won't be Jonathan. And Xander's like, no, no, no. World without sunshine, world without joy. <laughs> and Riley's like, it only changes back if Buffy kills this thing. If she loses, we could be stuck in the, this wrong world forever. And Xander's like, things are looking up. We're all happy here, right? If she doesn't get killed. And Willow's like, can Buffy do it? And Giles says, I don't know, because she's never stood alone against something like this before yes she has Giles Giles, obviously she has everything that you mentioned Jonathan did Buffy did it's all coming back to me now we cut to the monster throwing Buffy around (laughs) and Jonathan comes too because he was thrown over earlier um he has this cool you know that kick thing where you stand up that Riley did you know earlier in the season um and he starts beating the monster up and buffy's asking what jonathan like what should i do and jonathan's like um you're gonna have to handle this one solo you know you used to and the more you heard it the more i'll lose my dot 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 so clearly you know his strength is depending on how strong the monster is so the monster throws jonathan off buffy starts to fight it and jonathan goes to hide and um buffy starts to get better at fighting as she's going she's like oh i remember this this is this good (laughs) um so she keeps fighting it and then she almost gets thrown down the hole and the monster's about to like defeat her but jonathan runs from behind and pushes the monster into the hole and as it falls jonathan falls in too but buffy is able to grab jonathan's shoe um to, to prevent him from falling down there and Right after this, the spell is lifted. There's a big white curtain that kind of goes over Sunnydale and everything goes back to normal. No more Jonathan posters. But yeah, I really like that Jonathan saved Buffy here because Jonathan just did a really terrible thing. Um, Something that you and I were really mad at Xander for back in Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered just for, you know, taking control of these situations. We will talk about that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I want to say that I really... I, I think that Jonathan, him saving Buffy, him wanting to help Karen, I think at the end of the day, Jonathan is a really is a good person. He just makes really terrible decisions. But I don't think he actually wants to see people suffer the way that a bad person would. He's a weak person. Yes. And I don't want to say that because like I really loved him in the Matrix. But wait, no, that wasn't real. <laughs> That was Keanu. So was it, <laughs> it was All Keanu right. Reeves, my love. <sighs> I mean, I w- didn't want to say this earlier, Steph, but I feel like in this episode, you know, the, the way Jonathan was dressed in all black and has that short brown hair. I know where you're going with like this. Angel. <laughs> like a short, but much more compelling angel. <sighs> So on campus, it's the next day, the Scoobies are all sitting together. There's, you know, there's, it's probably on Rugs Field. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Xander's like, do you know what I'll always remember from this? 
And Riley says, well, the swimsuit calendar's sticking in my mind. Not in a good way. <laughs> Riley, that was a joke. <laughs> good for you. That's pretty funny. Sandra <laughs> says, I'm going to remember the way that he made me feel about me. Valued and respected. Sort of tingly. Now I'm just empty. So... I had my Xander slander moments in this episode. It's been a long time coming. I'm glad they came. But um, I felt bad for Xander here. I felt bad that he said that because when you think about it and you think about the journey that Xander's been on this season, like we started off with, with Xander feeling displaced, right? I mean, all of them were feeling displaced in their own ways, but Xander particularly felt left out from the life that his friends were now leading at college, right? And similar to Giles, who was also feeling like, you know, where am I in this? In, where do I matter now? Um, Xander, you know, living in the basement at home, can't keep a job, has to pay rent, um, can't afford food. Lots of stuff going on with Xander that has kind of been, you know, shunted to the side as his relationship with Anya progresses and Anya arguably being one of the best parts of his year, right? So when he said this, when he says, like, I, the way he made me feel, and now I'm, I'm just empty, and the fact that he actually fought for his life in Jonathan's world, I just feel like he would have chosen John to live in that alternate reality because he was happier, because he felt more purpose in being close to Jonathan. He felt like he mattered more. So I felt bad for him. But then... But then as I was thinking about that, I was like, well, why doesn't he feel that when he's with Buffy? Like, why, why is Jonathan the idol in his life that makes him feel good and valued and whole? Whereas really it's Buffy. Everything Jonathan did, Buffy did except for the fame part. And why doesn't that right, but impact Buffy Xander? Buffy does not value Xander so openly the way Jonathan did because Jonathan yeah. as a paragon was always making people feel better about themselves. You know? But yeah. that's the thing. is, You said it really well. Like... Xander's trying to fi figure out his place, but he's also trying to figure out his worth for himself, right? Like, we know that he comes from a family that neglected him and abused him, and he's never really seen himself as worthy of anything. And hanging with Buffy, being part of the Scoobies, has helped with that, but that shouldn't be his whole identity, and he's really struggling with that right now. Yeah, so anyways, I just wanted to kind of explain why that line actually kind of hit me and why I felt sympathy for him. Um, and then obviously it's mixed in there with my distrust with my sympathy for him. But overall, Absolutely. overall, Xander's still on a journey this season. And Buffy acknowledges that because she says, poor Xander, I guess Jonathan hurt you most of all. Uh, and then Willow's like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> excuse and Buffy's you? like, except for Tara. <laughs> You know, and it's cool that Jared Tara's a part of the gang now. Yeah, I like that she's in the mix. And like, obviously, still, everyone just thinks that they're just good friends or just roommates. <laughs> uh, Riley says, did anybody else feel too tall? I felt like way too tall. And uh, Willow, you know, she's like, how did Jonathan get this house? And who actually started in the Matrix? <laughs> so that's when Buffy is starting to tune out of the conversation. And she's paying attention to Jonathan. He's peeking creeping at them from across the campus, across Rugs Field. So she excuses herself and goes over to talk to him. And this is kind of a recapitulation of their conversation in earshot. She's not trying to disarm him this time, but I felt echoes of it where she's admonishing him in this conversation, right? And I like this version better. You know, those of you who listened to our recap of earshot, you heard us talk about how I didn't think that she handled it very well back then. 
this is better. I think she's doing a better job of handling Jonathan here. I'm just not sure she's the right person to be telling him all of this because it's still coming from this place of privilege of like Buffy has a lot of power, a lot of friends, a lot of connect. I don't know. I feel like Jonathan just needs a friend at this point. Yeah. So so what Buffy's saying to him, like Jonathan says that after the bell tower, the gun thing, which we're talking about in earshot here, um, he went to counseling with other kids with problems and none of the, and one of them had the spell and he glossed right over the monster. Um, he's like, I just wanted to apologize. Nobody was supposed to get hurt. And Buffy says, you get why everyone's angry though, right? Like it's not just the monster. People didn't like being the little actors in your sock puppet theater. And Jonathan says, you weren't socks. We were friends. And Buffy says, you can't keep trying to make everything work out with this big gesture all at once. Things are complicated. They take time and work. And Jonathan's like, yeah, right. Um, and then he goes to leave. And then he says, hey, Buffy, you remember I gave you some advice about you and Riley? Well, things are starting to get bur- blurred. Um, but this cool thing I said that I don't remember, I think it's kind of right. I think what you said to me just now about things taking work. And Buffy like remembers this, right? And he's like, okay, good, because it's true. What you have is really complicated, but it's worth it. I think that's what I said. And then he walks away. So I I, I am personally in this conversation glad that Buffy doesn't let him off the hook. I think she sympathizes with him. Oh, for sure. And she's patient with him. But at the end of the day, like he did do something really wrong. And I don't think it's... she's giving him, you know, I don't think she needs to give him too much space for feeling bad about that Mm -hmm. what he did was monstrous right like we said with the comparisons to bewitched bothered and bewildered like the whole idea of like having the power to reshape reality freaks me out but again it's like if anything i feel like they let jonathan off too easy in this episode i am sympathetic that he's lonely and wants more for himself but this is not the way my guy you know he went to therapy and his takeaway was, I should use this other kid's spell to get what I want instead of go through ther- therapy properly. And then he does this, nearly gets Tara killed, nearly gets, you know, Karen killed. And all Buffy does is, you know, give him a verbal slap on the wrist and let him go. It's like, I'm not saying we should lock him up in the initiative, but I feel like there needs to be more here. Are they checking in with him every week? Does she, has, she, has Buffy assigned a caseworker to him? Like... He's this dealing. This is where the Scoobies <laughs> are really bad at this. Remember, he's dealing. It's fine. Um, yeah, no, you. Uh, that, that's such a great point. And you brought it up earlier and that, that triggered something that I wanted to say where you said like he really just needs a friend. He needed a friend after earshot. Buffy didn't want to go to problem with him because he was too short. Fine. But yeah, like, like, so he, this man tried to kill himself and now he just performed a, a spell to make himself get a bunch of friends. He just, he said, it's not about me controlling you. It was about me being your friend. So Buffy is not picking up what Jonathan's putting down, maybe because she doesn't want to be his friend, but it's true. Like, why can't the Scoobies be a little bit more welcoming to Jonathan? Because he's, uh, he's not just as much of an outsider as they were in high school. He's even more so. So it would have been nice yeah. to see them include him in the fold, well, you know? I'm not saying it's their responsibility to no, be his friend. but it would have been nice, but right? I'm not saying it's their responsibility to be his friend. But keep tabs on him to make sure he, you know, third time's the charm, right? Like, let's make sure he doesn't get up to something even worse. Right? Or when, when Buffy tells him, like, well, he told Buffy it takes work and now she's saying it back to him, right? It takes work. It's complicated. Well... What if he reaches out to you to put that work in? Would you accept it? 
right? If he's like, hey, maybe we can get together. And like you're saying, do a little touch point now and then, and then maybe that leads to friendship. I don't know. But like, I want to help Jonathan. (laughs) And um, I don't think he's going to get the help that we are hoping he can get. Yeah, so let's let's finish off this episode and then I want to talk about why I got more and more angry as I watched, as you probably, a lot of people probably heard me start to shout earlier. Um, Buffy and Riley are kissing on Riley's bed and um, she's like, I'm glad we talked this out. And he's like, we haven't talked. And she says, whatever we're doing, we're doing this great. And they kiss more and Jonathan, and Buffy says, mm, Jonathan, and we fade to black. So Buffy and Riley are not communicating still. They're not going to talk about this. They're just going to bang. And uh I, we'll see how that works out for them in the future. Um, okay, but here's why I was getting more and more angry. The The episode started out very funny, very fresh. We were like, what's going on? Jonathan's all of a sudden the main star. I'm down for this. This is so like one-off and funny and like the wish, but just not done as well. But then once I started seeing how Buffy was being treated, how Buffy saw herself in this pro-Jonathan world, how Jonathan saw Buffy in a world where he's in power. Buffy is the strongest woman on earth. And Jonathan made her lower than even, like, not just like an average human, but lower than her friends. Like, her friends all looked down on Buffy in this episode. They were like, Buffy can't do it. Buffy's never done this alone. Oh, Buffy? Buffy's calling the meeting? And then even when it's like, oh, Buffy was right. And Danner literally was like, no. (laughs) You know? Like, it's played off as jokes and it's a spell, but Jonathan made this reality. And in his fantasy or in his alternate universe, the woman who saved his life multiple times and stopped him from killing himself, she's the one that he targeted to be weaker than everybody else. So much so that like Spike saw it and took advantage of it and that he like paraded it over her. This whole time was like condescendingly. So that really bothered me. It just bothered me that he had to make her smaller for him to feel bigger. Something about Buffy's strength needed to be taken down a peg. Yeah, like it is a disturbing episode, you know, and it's this commentary on, I think, how insecure men often need to, quote unquote, put women in their place to build themselves up. That is what the patriarchy is all about, right? The patriarchy is about not just putting women down, but it's also about telling less secure or um, less capable men, you know, it's women's fault that you're this way, right? Um, And that's why, and I'll have more thoughts on this at some point in the future, I'm sure, you know, characters like Jonathan... Characters like Xander, even to some extent, many of the male characters in this show, Spike sometimes, it bothers me, right? Because their response to feeling moments of weakness or insecurity is to reach deep down into that toxic masculinity and their go-to is misogyny. And whether that's, you know, Joss Whedon channeling Joss Whedon or clever commentary on our society and patriarchy, it's hard to tell sometimes. It's hard to tell where the feminism ends and the misogyny begins with this show. (laughs) Um, But I, I, I agree with you. I think that this episode on one level is very fun, and that is why I enjoy it. But on another level, there is something dark and creepy and uncomfortable about it. 
Well, and also we like, I mean, I mentioned that thing about the twins earlier, but I'm sure those are real people. And did they, did Jonathan sleep with them? Did he rape them? Um, Also the monster that Jonathan created attacked women. It attacked gentle women like Tara and women who are vulnerable um, in terms of their emotions for Jonathan, which is Karen. And of course, Buffy, who has been beaten down in terms of her confidence to the point where she can't even take out one right. vampire on well, her own and this is what i mean like he's like the twins moved out so it's like like you said like this is a type of rape buffy is not taking this seriously enough like he has committed a crime here mm-hmm. there's no law on the books for it but it is a magical crime and buffy's just like poor boy you know do better next time and lets him go and this is where i'm just like no like there has to be some form of like restorative justice at least and there's nothing jonathan just gets sent on his way and and so like i'm gonna say this and maybe this is gonna sound too harsh to you steph i am also upset at buffy in this moment Mm -hmm. and the rest of the scoobies for how they let jonathan go and Mm -hmm. i understand what you're saying about you know what jonathan did but that's why it's like yes jonathan did this very terrible thing not just to buffy but as you just pointed out, it has repercussions for all these other people, you know, and Buffy's just like, yeah, OK, don't do it again, Jonathan. <laughs> Wink, like, come on. Yeah. Um, and it's just like at the end of Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered, where it's like, oh, Xander, you're such a good guy for not raping me when I was under your spell. So here they're just like, oh, Jonathan, like. It's hard work. It's hard work making friends. It's okay what you did, though. So I don't know. Like, Jonathan, I guess, just like Xander, gets off the hook mm. for being a mediocre white man. I don't know. Um, but this is... this. These are just a Joss Whedon insert character. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, and not... I'm not... And, like, again, I find Jonathan's character very sympathetic, and we understand him. But what he That's did... That's what frustrates me. Yeah, He's yeah. presented so sympathetically and i get it and i sympathize but it's like to some extent we shouldn't yeah it's this is hard this is a hard episode and that's why by the end of it i was actually very frustrated and and upset because i was like i don't like ooh, what you did and the pointedness of buffy being weakened is actually disturbing enough weakened so much that jonathan had to protect buffy from getting assaulted by spike Ugh. Anyway, all right. Well, you know what? Now I'm leaving with a bad taste in my mouth. <laughs> Sorry, Steph. Who's your hero? <laughs> I was gonna say Buffy, but like now that we're like, well, she kind of she let him off the hook. My my thing. That's I was, how I feel. Yeah, I can't. I, I can't really give it to her. I'm gonna give it to um, uh, Giles Willow for the research because they believe Buffy for sure. <laughs> no one believed. Buffy. Oh. How about we give it to Vampire Minion? Oh yeah, for stealing that scene. For for keeping Adam Adam's scene interesting. Right? Yes. Well, and for all we know, he's the only thing keeping Adam from another rampage at the moment because like he's he's entertaining Adam, right? He's keeping Adam distracted. At the moment he's no longer entertaining, Adam is gonna kill him, R.I.P. vampire friend, <laughs> and go off on, you know dissecting vivisecting returning library books late i don't know what he's what were do. they it's doing in bad. that library they never explained um you know what shout out to jonathan's imaginary pr team 
because they worked True. their butts yes. off. They worked their butts off and like fellow communicators like me, um, it, it's not easy to create messaging that people want to hear. So good for you. That's it. And a shout out to Ash who wrote into us way back in April and suggested the conceit of us going along with it's all Jonathan's world. So thanks for that, Ash. Um, so fun. And shout out to me for remembering. <laughs> because, you know, we really appreciate when people send us both hot stakes and also just kind of fun things. But it's like, maybe don't do it more than like a month ahead of time because we will forget. No, you remembered right before we started recording. <laughs> right? Yeah. I thought it was a really cool idea. So thank you for that. Um, also, we have a, before we get to our hot stakes, shout out to one of our new Buy Me A Coffee members, Lucy. Thank you for the support. Thanks, Lucy. Our first hot stake is from Kelly, who says, so my question is, who is Adam? He was obviously a human at some point before Walsh Frankensteined him. Good use of Frankenstein as a verb there. <laughs> Isn't that murder? Who was this human man? Did he sign up for this? He doesn't seem to resemble a human in the way he talks, thinks, and acts. More like a robot that has been programmed. So the original person's memory was wiped? Or was he killed and brought back to life? Either way, Adam was a human at the start. She weirdly calls him her son. And, you know, he calls her mother, just like Riley, Graham, and Forrest. Is it her plan all along? You know, to do something worse? Um, does she want to make more of these monsters? What's the big plan for 314? And then, you know, Kelly goes on to say, like, I just don't find this season very satisfying in the way that we present Adam and get answers to this. And, and I see what you're saying, Kelly. Uh, and then this is unrelated to Adam, but Kelly just wants to throw in some trivia for us that the, apparently the writers originally wanted to make Sunday the big bad for season four. Mm. Would that have been better or worse? I don't know. I, I liked Sunday as a villain. I don't know if she could have sustained a whole season though. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think the initiative idea is really good. It's just by the time they got to Adam and Walsh died, that's where it kind of fell off for me. Um, I do think, I think it's a really fascinating that if they had stuck with this plan that Kelly's suggesting that maybe all of the soldier boys were eventually going to become similar to Adam, right? That's kind of interesting, so, like an yeah, army so of what them. Is, what is your theory about Adam's origins? Was he alive when she started to do this? Was he just a cadaver that she started working on? What do you think? I, I personally think it's very much like uh, some assembly required where they, you know, collected the pieces they needed from dead bodies. Um, just like she was assembling pieces of demons. I think she took the right. best of the best. She probably, maybe, hey, maybe a soldier volunteered, um, but the odds of like one of these soldiers dying in battle and he was a really strong uh, particular soldier, I can see Maggie Walsh keeping his body because uh, maybe he donated it to science and using it for this purpose. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah, I think, I think he, yeah, I think he was dead already, but, you know, preserved enough that she could work with that keep him preserved i don't know how she did that and but yeah i don't i don't think he has any memory of who he was before i think he is a new being mm -hmm. you know and who's to say that like the brain is the same brain that was originally in that body imagine that um because we never know we never found out what happened to dave and what's his face from uh some assembly are required. they working for the initiative that's what i'm saying maybe they actually went uh -huh. to go work for the initiative because they already know how to raise the dead 
on the Hellmouth. So maybe that's why Maggie Walsh came there. Hmm. All right. So thank you, Kelly. Um, our other hot steak is from Jass, who wrote in about Goodbye, Iowa. Uh, she says, first... And most importantly, I love the Riley slander, and she coins it as blander slander. <laughs> it took me a moment to get that, but I love it. <laughs> I fucking love it. I'm going to get it tattooed. Um, number two, I would describe Spike in season four as a criminal informant or CI. Basically, criminals are being paid to snitch on fellow criminals in order to further investigations, like in White Collar. This way, no detective or cop have to go undercover. Uh, practically, I don't know how pre prevalent it is here in America, but it is a trope used a lot. And then number three, she says, the scene with the little boy and Adam is supposed to be a parallel to Frankenstein. In Frankenstein, in the 90s perception that the monster is the true monster and not the creator the monster who is curious goes to sit on a seesaw with a little girl on the other end and she's flung up and lands in a lake and drowns adam curiously kills the little boy in order to see how he works and i believe they made adam's they made adam's response to make him seem more vicious than the original frankenstein one could also make the comparison that dr frankenstein and professor walsh both abandoned their creations interesting yeah so um thanks for that uh, Jazz, great point. And we had a couple other people say that to, to talk about the comparison between Frankenstein and that scene. I don't remember that in Frankenstein, but I remember in Young Frankenstein that he does sit on the seesaw and the girl flies, but I don't remember her dying. So yeah. So if, if we're talking about like the original Mary Shelley source text, I like I, I totally see the comparison. I agree. Like that that is what Buffy's shouting out here is this mm -hmm. idea of creating life from the dead and stuff. I agree with that. The difference would be. In the original book, yes, Dr. Frankenstein abandons his creation. But let's not forget that he wasn't setting out to create a demon-killing machine, right? He was just hyped up on science. He wanted to uh, create life from nothing, and that would be his ticket to fame. He was just after fame and recognition, and it got out of his hands, and he panicked, right? But... Professor Walsh's motives are very different from Dr. Frankenstein's. And I just wanted to register that because, you know, Professor Walsh from the beginning was creating a demon killing machine. <laughs> Let's not let her off the hook. It's pronounced Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, pronounced <laughs> Igor. <laughs> um, all right. Thank you for those hot steaks, everybody. Uh, what an episode. What a ride this season. Halfway through the series. I cannot believe it. Thanks for sticking around with us for the first half. Hope you stick around for the rest. I am. <laughs> stick around. You know, join our Discord. Yeah, join our Discord. Follow us on social. Although I will consider leaving if Kara continues comparing Angel to all these mediocre men. <laughs> these incels. <laughs> All right, and thank you especially to our chosen ones, Lizzie, Emma, Hannah, Taza, Alexandra, Kyle, Kayla, Destiny, Brady, Erica, Justine, Allison, Lena, Jace, Julian, Haley, Nicola, and Tasha. Thanks, everyone. We will see you <laughs> next week. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. 
If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca, where you can find the link to our Discord. Praise Moloch! See you next week!